Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. You ready for the word today? I think I've had something cooking for some time. I love it when Pastor Daniel just calls and says, hey, I have a Sunday open. Are you available? (laughs) I'm like, sure, I'll be there. So um, this may sound like Pastor's continuation from this morning, but I want to dig right in. There's two things I'm going to really be talking about today, this evening, and one of them is faith that hasn't survived the test is a faith that's difficult to trust. I'll say that again. A faith that hasn't survived the test is a difficult faith to trust. You know, Jesus came into the earth and emptied himself of the glories of heaven, and we Pastor talked about that this morning and explained the depth of it. But if you think about it, the Bible says, and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit after the baptism, after heaven opened, and it says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led into the wilderness to be tested. Now, if the son of God, who is fully God and fully human, is being led by the Spirit of God, into the wilderness to be tested, it can't be a sign of God not trusting what his son is like. Because when you look at the end, when he's coming out of the wilderness, it says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, without measure. I'll rewind this. Because it took me a long time to understand it for a minute. He was already full of the Holy Spirit when he went in the wilderness. He had a measure of the Holy Spirit. After the test, now he's full and without measure. That's what God wants to do with you and I. I'm going to be taught talking about how, what happens when God comes into your house and the roof starts to get off and, and part of your building blocks start to get, to, to get messed up and you start to get exposed to this full power of God because when Jesus showed up, people thought he was against the Roman Empire, but the people he had the greatest battle with were the religious people. So that's one of the statements. A faith that has not been tested, let me put it this way in short, cannot be trusted. The other statement you're going to hear me say often is this. The source of the faith you have is equivalent to the stability of the faith you have. The source of the faith that you have is equivalent to stability of the faith that you have. Jesus says this phrase in Matthew. He says, have faith in God. And and I know most of the time it's, it's easy for us to see what God has done 
so we can have faith. I know God heals, so therefore God is the healer. I know God provides, therefore he's God the provider. Let me pose a question to you. If your faith comes after the answer God has provided, what is the source of your faith? Because there are moments when you're going to be like Daniel in the pit of the belly in the lion's den. And you're going to still sit in there and say, he's still good. You're going to be, have days like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're sitting right in the middle of the fire and you're saying, it's still good. Because he is God. So the, there's a few things I'm going to be digging through here just using those two statements. Faith, a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. The source of your faith is equivalent to the stability of your faith. Let's go to Mark chapter 2 verses 1. I'm going to read a few verses and then we're going to dig through them. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days and, and it was hard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came and bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. When they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they broke through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was laying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were Reason thus within themselves, he said unto them, Why do you reason about things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk? Verses 10 says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I'll say unto you, Arise up, take up your bed, and go home. The very first verse tells you that when they heard about Jesus coming into town, everybody knew what was possible. It says widespread. Now, they hadn't given them service time. It doesn't say. They just heard that Jesus was in town, and therefore something was about to happen. Something profound was about to take place. Why? Because they knew who Jesus was, or they believed in what he could do, and his abilities had not been seen in any man on the earth at this time. Had there been healings before? Yes, Jesus wasn't the first miracle worker. But he's, he's present in this village, and they said the house was full. I want to show you a picture of the house I'm talking about. And this is just a, a, a view of what houses looked like in those days. As you can see, most of them in the area are the same. So this was kind of the look. There was no window to see outside. It, was, it just looked like a box. The roof was tiles. And you see the staircase to go up. Now, this may not be the actual rendering of what the scripture is saying, but this is what I found when I was researching to just show you a glimpse of what it felt like. It wasn't, they were not at the temple. 
they were in a house and some people think it's Peter's house. And now the whole village has gathered, if you can keep that picture up the whole time. The, the, the whole village gathered and they came to try to squeeze in this little building. Why? Everybody needed something from Jesus. The ones who were sick, the ones who were lost, the ones who were depressed, the ones who were uh, trying to get their marriages back together, the ones that knew Jesus as the Son of God, everybody showed up. And there was no room for nobody else. I was talking to the choir the other day. I said, maybe these guys were a little bit African. Because we don't show up at the beginning of service. And maybe I found another culture here that's like them. Maybe the Hispanics, you know? When you want to start at five, you say we're starting at two. <laughs> Give or take. So here's what is going on, though. I want to I wanna highlight these. The people that showed up, it seemed like they were expectant of what Jesus was about to do. Not, not for their neighbor, in them. There was a, they had heard something. But there's another group that arrives later that seemed to have heard the same information, but they're determined to receive something that the group that arrived earlier could not receive. Here's what I mean. These guys show up, four of them, with a paralytic on their bed, and they discover that the room is full, and they begin to improvise. And they go up the staircase. They go up on top of this house. They begin to take the towels apart. And they lower this guy through the roof. Now, take a pause for a minute. Jesus is preaching in this house. And you hear the first hammer. In the David Living Translation, I think, I think Jesus looks up and is like, we're going to keep going. It may be the rain. But there's someone's faith outside this building that is saying, I'm coming for what you have. Whatever it takes, this is, not, this is my day. And they have one plan. I have a way in. I don't know how I'm going to get out. If there's some people like you in here, you're like, David, I know. I know the way in if I could. And these are for, can you imagine them carrying the bed on a stroller up the staircase and getting over to the top? And they're listening where Jesus is because they don't want to land on the crowd. So they, they're walking to, to wherever he's standing so that way they can start digging deep. Here's what I'm talking about. Are there some things in your life about what your theology, what your belief is, and you've built yourself a little safe house? You know, about healing, God heals some and doesn't heal everything. You know, about finances, God helps those who help themselves. You've built this little shrine over yourself that even when God comes on the inside, you're not ready to receive when he's asking you to move beyond what you thought you knew. And you're wondering why the people outside that have come late are receiving what you should have been receiving. And then they start to pull apart your own house. 
And sometimes this is offensive to us. When someone comes and tells you, I've been to the same service you're at, and the Holy Spirit touched me, and I'm going to go start a ministry to feed the poor. And you were in the same building, besides them in the same pew, and you're like, no, maybe it's not my time yet. Maybe you sit next to somebody who's saying, you know what, I'm, I have a ministry of prodigals. I'm going to go out there and get them. Well, I was sitting in there, I could not contain but feel the weight of the call of God on my life to go out and begin to pray for prodigals because I had one. And here, this is a story that I love because maybe even what I'm talking about is not really clearly read through the scripture. But all I'm seeing is you're going to see that there were some people inside the building that were so moved in the opposite direction that their thoughts began to wander from what even Jesus was teaching, from what they desired from the Lord. Here's what happens so to so these four men lower this guy, and they have broken through the roof. And what amazes me is amidst of the disruption, Jesus looks up, and for him, he sees faith. Have you had a disruption in your life before? And you look up to the disruption, and you say, man, look at the faithfulness of God. They just messed up the roof of your house, and you look at the guy building and say, like, oh, glory to God. (laughs) They just called you about a bad report in the hospital, and you're like, whoo, I feel the goodness of God. They just told you, you have cancer, this and this is going on, you're like, oh, God is in this place. They just said, your marriage is, is going to fall apart. Your student debt, this and the other is coming against you. And you're like, no, 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 no. God is in this place. Jesus looked up at the disruption, and he saw faith. And let me paraphrase this. And he looked in the house. And saw the people on the front pews that had been listening to him all day long, that day. And it looked like some were so disrupted. How dare you break through my roof? How dare you break into my situation in this way? And Jesus is seeing faith, they are seeing disruption. Jesus reaches a point of saying, I hear what you're thinking. You're wondering why I see faith in something disruptive. I feel like that should be the new normal for church. They say the economy is falling down. We're like, awesome, time to do more ministry. They scare you with all kinds of news. And you're able to stand up and say, this is an opportunity for God to reveal his glory. They say you can't have kids. This is an opportunity for God to reveal his glory. This bill can't be paid. This is an opportunity for God to manifest his glory. Remember the story of the blind man when they asked Jesus, 
who should we blame? Is it the parents who sinned or is it the baby who sinned? What was Jesus' answer? This happened so that the glory of God may be demonstrated. I know, I see like in the book of Ephesians, sorry I'm jumping around through the Bible, but this is Sunday p.m., right? So we can, we can dig through some things. Paul tells the church in Ephesus in chapter 1, and he commends them of their love for each other. He commends them of their, of their belief and steadfast. He commends them about their giving. And it, it, it all looks amazing until it gets to verses 13, where he says, I pray for you that the eyes of your understanding may be open." I pray that you may have revelation knowledge. How would someone walking in love and walking in this existence of the church now need to be prayed over so they can have a revelation of, of who Jesus is? It's because where Paul was is where they were headed. Paul is in a prison cell still praising God, saying, And my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. And his, his letter to such of Ephesus they are complaining about the, how, how big the church has grown beyond the needs they have. They're saying, Paul, you need to come. We can't do this. And Paul just keeps reminding them. It's, you know the funny thing that I love about Paul? That there's not a single moment where he's encouraging another pastor in his letters where he tells them what he's going through. He uses everything he knows about the word of God to encourage every single minister he was overseeing and never ever uses an example of himself in reference and in comparison to the condition the people he's ministering to were in. He never says, you know what? Your church is growing beyond it. You should consider being in prison first. He says, I pray for you. Almost every, almost every epistle has this phrase, I pray for you. I hear of your this, I pray for you. Don't you know you've been sanctified? Don't you know you've been justified? Don't you know you've been made whole? Don't you know that this is the living word of God that's alive in your life? This is the person that I see every single day. Every single time in scripture, he's reminding people about how strong the word of God is. Jesus is preaching the word of God in Capernaum in this house, which means that the power of God to heal, the power of God to provide, the power of God to do miracles was present. But there came a test. Let's make this house A figure of speech for a moment. And I want you to own what are some things that you have built for yourself and feel safe in. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your job. And you have built this house. And then God calls you and says, 
I need you to step out. COVID comes and says, you've been comfortable going to work? Now there is no more work. And your little building starts to shrink. Everything that you knew about it begins to shrink. And then they tell you, man, you know what? Your son was supposed to come home from prison yesterday, but he's not coming home anymore. All the prayers that you've been praying and the testimony you just shared, it's not going to happen. Your house begins to shrink. And for most of us, we begin to wonder, God, I prayed. And you see, your, our prayers begin to turn into how grateful we are to, to reminding God how big our problems are. And we begin to get more consumed with this. This is what I love about this scripture. Is Jesus was not interrupted by how, how loud it was on the roof. He was interrupted by what they were thinking inside the room. Jesus was, I mean, the scripture is very clear. It's almost like what was happening on the roof, he anticipated. He was waiting for someone who is going to put action to their faith and come ready to receive. And this is what I love about this. And this is, again, David Living translation here. This is not theology at all. The service for the paralytic started and ended in an instant. He came down the roof. His sins were forgiven. He was healed. Jesus never said, sit so I can teach you. He said, pick up your mat, pick up your bed, go home. The rest, you need to get some, something going. <laughs> you pick up what I'm trying to say here. The rest of you, in other words, here is what I'm here to do. I'm here to respond to faith. I'm here to respond to action. How are you going to receive what you want to receive from God? If you just come because you know he can do many mighty things. That's okay. That will gather crowds. But how about a crowd that will reach out and touch? I remember the woman with the issue of blood. They called her woman the entire chapter. When she touches the hem of Jesus, they say, lady. Something in her life was restored to ladyhood from womanhood in an instant. This is the ministry of Jesus throughout the entire time of his ministry. I'm not saying this to say or make, make simple what people are going through. I'm saying this to say, what is God asking you to step into that your normal confines have limited you from stepping out of? When was the last time someone came into your house and said something so crazy that your theology could not understand, but you stepped out in faith anyway? We have a great example here. 
You see, you could almost assume that Jesus' tests ended when he came out of the wilderness. That that was it. I don't think the test stopped. It was that he had a spirit without measure. That means he had an unlimited faith. He had an unlimited resource. He had a limited source who, would, who was God. And God was in daily operation and in daily fellowship. Whatever came to test his faith received who God was. Is that where some people want to be? Because that's where I want to live every day. Is there's nothing that can come my way that can never cause me to act like I made this up on my own. I have the faith of God. And this is what is going on here in this story. Jesus looked up and he saw the faith. And when he looked in the house, I don't want to say unbelief. But he saw some theologies and some religions and and some doctrines and some, you see, Jesus help me. There are things that we learn. Now, I always tell our worship team, I say this, why, why should a pastor go to school for over five years, seven years plus and learn these things and do these things? And you as a worship leader, just come from work and grab a guitar and start singing. Why should a pastor spend a week studying the word of God, days in prayer, seeking God? What do you want to do in this house today? What do you want to do in this service? And you come and rehearse, have a great rehearsal. And you're ready to minister God the same way. It breaks my heart when I hear stories of worship leaders, worship ministers, saying they're agnostic now. But yet they've written some of the songs that we worship and we feel so close to God. But they have come to this place with God that God seems non-existent anymore. They've built these little roofs about their religion, about their preparation, that the tiles have become so thick and the walls so walled in that their judgment of how they feel now has become the normal standard that I just expect this thing. And that's what you see in the theology and some of the stuff we sing is, is so far-fetched because it, it, it has become this thing that's not best on the foundation of Christ anymore. It's a fantasy base. And some of them found... Sounds like a girlfriend writing to a boyfriend, a boyfriend writing to a girlfriend song. Oh, I mean, I don't want to use some examples because they're blame blazing within me now. Uh, it's it's just, just a lot of them. And we end up conditioning the church to this idol worship and expect the pastor to come in and just kind of sweep them all up. We gotta allow the power of the Holy Spirit to come and break some things down. I don't know how these guys knew that Jesus wasn't there. Maybe they were coming from far. But I learned three things from them. 
they knew how to get Jesus' attention. I don't think they had planned to get on the roof that day, but they were determined, I am not leaving this place without getting in the face of God. I know he can do all things. That is not enough. I have faith in what he carries. Another pastor friend of mine put it this way. He said, this man tapped in the future. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. He received salvation before even Jesus went on the cross. Tell your neighbor, faith is the strongest power that will get you closer to God. I love it when Jesus is teaching this amazing lesson where he's full of power, full of authority, standing in a room of people who have gone to church 24-7 but can't receive what he has. And here comes someone who comes late but has a demand on their heart, improvises another way to get in, Breaks through the roof, and just instead of saying, security, he looks up and is like, wow, look at their faith. You know, one thing that I've been learning lately that has really been so amazing is, 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 is watching my one-year-old daughter walk. Because she will see me and start running. Falls gets up, but as long as she can see me, forget about the fall. I'm going to go till I get to him. Fall again, get up. I'm going to go till I can get to him. And I feel like God was teaching me something. David said, some of the scars that you have, maybe you got them running in the wrong direction. But do you realize you can also get them when you're running in my direction? It's because when we mature and get older, when you fall and get and hurt your knee, you're like, ah, uh, take a pause. The world needs to stop right now. My pinky hurts. That's what I thought the first time myself. Because I love to play pickleball, and I've injured a few parts. And the, and the game is over. At that point, once I feel something pull, all right, guys, I'm going to fold up my paddles. I'm going home. But when you watch your kids, do they do that? As long as you were in the vicinity, it's like they fall, you look away, you pretend like you, don't, you didn't see them, they will get themselves up and go another round like it never happened. They will come in the house with bruises. It don't mean they don't like to go running again. They will keep running the next time. Can you imagine if our Christian faith was so much wrapped in who God is that even when you fail when you're running to God, you just get up, shake off the dust, and keep going and believe that he's taking care of everything and he has already taken care of everything as pertaining to godliness that he has made in, in your way for you. So these guys are showing up 
at a meeting super late. I know they're not American. I'll show you another story with you. I was at a church. I was at a church, and it was during, during the music time. And, and one of the people that was singing with us, her husband walks in at the back of the church, and he was drunk, like drunk as they come. And for some reason, somehow, he makes it past all the security, past all the ashes, walks all the way to the front, and is like standing on a stage with his phone camera recording his wife during, during the music. He's doing this and roaming around his wife. And, and, and I remember the pastor looking at me with this stare like, do something now. You know, he's like on the front row. He's like, you need to do something. Like, I could almost hear those words like, David, do something. And so I get off the piano, and instead of going to the man, I was so afraid. It was more fear-driven than it was about faith at this point. I walk in the back to look for security. We need, we need this guy off the stage now. And security is like, we're live streaming. We can't walk through the live stream and pull this guy down. Pastor leaves the front row, comes in the back by the sound booth, and tells me directly the words that I did not want to hear. Do something now. And in my little skinny ability, I woke up from the back. The wife is very uncomfortable. She's still going on having to sing. I woke up and put my arm around him, and then I said, you know what, we're recording this. How about I get you a copy after the service? And he gets off stage, walks right through the aisle, and goes home. The moment he reached like the back door and was leaving, I felt something in my spirit. David, I wanted to break the spirit of addiction in the service today. Can you imagine if you had gathered around him and broke the spirit? I felt like a fire raging within me. It felt like a knife. It felt like I was so distracted with the tiles being taken off and finding the right person and finding the right leaders and finding the right way to do it and not listening to David, here's an opportunity for your music ministry to actually carry ministry behind it. For your little cool playing to carry something beneath it, to carry something of substance. Here is God saying, David, you have faith? And I remember that day, I just... I just couldn't have this peace. I remember that uh, his wife was coming, apologizing. I'm so sorry. My husband was this, 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 and everything. And I remember just saying, you know what? Take me to your husband now. This was after service. And now I'm, now I'm this kind of David, okay? I've already, been, I've already had enough condemnation of my own self. I'm like, no, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to deal with it even if it's after the service. 
And I go to this lady's home, and the guy is laid up on the living room couch, almost the same way he was in, in the church. And I didn't say much. I say, in the name of Jesus, this spirit of alcoholism, this spirit of drunkenness is broken today in the mighty name of Jesus. And I left, I didn't see any change because he was still laid out, passed out. The following Sunday, he came, he was sitting with his wife right behind the pastor, <laughs> lifting both his hands up. The next week he came to something that was called Celebrate Recovery and he was a part of, his, of that journey. And his testimony was, I came to the service. Something pushed him to show up for service. Because he knew that was his day of deliverance. And we as worshiped him showed up as a day for us to sing songs. That's why I'm talking about this today. How, how is your house, your, little, your, your building being taken apart by some needs of what people who are around you have. And they, are, and they are tugging on your faith. Kids are tugging on your faith. Your family is tugging on your faith. Your job is tugging on your faith. Your relationship is tugging on your faith. Your, your provision is tugging on your faith. The miracle you want God to do is tugging on your faith. Are you ready? Or would you rather the tiles stay the way they are? You have become normalized by the condition of how things are. You've become normalized by, okay, sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. You become normalized by, sometimes he answers and sometimes he doesn't. And yet his word says, call unto me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things. His word says, I'm always looking for my word to perform it. His word says, I have given you all things pertaining to spiritual blessings in, in heavenly places. His word says, I've seated, I've elevated you, I've seated with you in heavenly places. Far above all powers, principalities, rulers, kingdoms, demonic powers, I, I've, I've brought fellowship between you and me. I've restored what the enemy stole, what the enemy intended for harm. I'm transforming into good. Is that the kind of believer you are? Is that the kind of believer you're becoming? I want to finish with the later part of this story. Man, the clock is not like giving me any allowance at all. I love verses 10. It says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth. Are you a son of man? Some of you don't know. Are you a son of man? Because Jesus could have said that the Son of God has power on the earth. And that would have eliminated all of us probably. To me, I believe he was hinting on something. That the son, the son of man has. Look at your neighbor and say, I have what I need, even right now. 
My dad often said this. He said, David, tomorrow is not coming. It's in today. He said, not your today. And tomorrow, you won't have to worry about it. And he always used these examples that when I was growing up, I didn't fully understand. Because everything we're taught in school was, what are you trying to become, a teacher? He's what? A pilot? A doctor? Seems like everything that you needed was coming from outside of you in. We're never taught that what you need is actually on the inside of you. And Jesus is actually teaching the opposite. He said, actually what you need, I've already wired on the inside of you. That's why the kingdom of God is like a seed. Whatever is going to be the kingdom has already been put in the seed. You see, the tree and its fruit are all in the seed. You just don't see it yet. And here's another catch line that is pretty amazing to me. The tree never becomes a seed again. And the tree never eats the fruit. I'll say that again. The tree never becomes the seed again. Neither neither does the tree consume its own fruit. Do you know who eats the fruit? People that are attracted. And most of the time, they don't know the process of how the tree had to become a tree. But they always have an ability to call when they look at the seed out of the fruit to say, hey, I have another tree. What am I saying here? Just as Genesis 1 says this, and he created trees and plants that were seed-bearing. And every single one of them would reproduce of its own kind. So when he made one tree, he made all trees. Do we agree on that? So that means when, when he made you, he made everything that was going to come out of you. He knew you would endure some challenges, but he wired it in. And that's why you see when you see your roof being taken apart, when you see your foundation being taken apart, it means the seed that's in there needs some room. It means what you carry on the inside, even the enemy is afraid of. And as long as it keeps you focused and locked into the mindset, into the religion that you've made yourself comfortable to, you will never realize the potential you carry because God never creates anything purposeless. And you know the biggest question to humankind today? Lord, why? Lord, why? COVID came, why? We can't have kids, Lord, why? My marriage is about to fall apart, Lord, why? I'm not using these to just make fun of them or, or anything. They're real things. But do you realize 
just as much those issues are there. That the way this world is wired is supposed to hinder you from expressing the glory of God that God put on the inside of you. You are not in a place that's welcoming you to express the greatness of God the way God created you. You're in a place, you are in a part of a place that wants to do its best to hinder everything that God has put on the inside of you. And that's why it takes faith to believe that you are God's workmanship. It takes faith to believe that you are a masterpiece. It takes faith to believe that I will accomplish everything that God has created for me and in my life. It takes faith to believe that even though my eyes can't see, I have perceived the word of God on the inside of my life. I'm a tree that's gonna bear fruit and birds will come and nest in this tree. Generations will look at this tree and see the greatness of who God is. Are you ready for that? And here's what I'm really saying, is get ready for a test. Here's how, again, my, I love to quote my dad, because he always says, you know what, every challenge in your life is just a faith project. Maybe, maybe tonight we determine, God, I'm on a faith project, whatever situation it is. If you don't mind, get up on your feet. And turn to your neighbor and tell him this. I have everything I need. <laughs> as pertain to godliness. I have the faith of God. If you're online, partner with us as well. I have the faith of God. See, I can do exceedingly, abundantly, above what no man can think. Oh, do according to the power that's at work in my life. And maybe this is your first time hearing about this and you want to give your life to Jesus. If you're in this room, let's all pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your death on the cross for my sins. I thank you that you have justified, set me apart, filled me with your spirit. I thank you that from today I am changed and forever changed. The old is gone and the new has come. I am a child of God. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org. 
follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.